nourished through loving obedience. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, August the 8th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. Continuing in John 6, Rev. David Pelegi explains how the Gospel of John sees eternal life as a present reality as well as a future hope. We are nourished into eternal life through relationship with Jesus the Messiah by consuming the Word of God. This involves obedience, not motivated by fear of punishment, but by love. Friends, before we continue, we thank you for listening. As the pandemic continues, the tourists have not yet returned to Israel. Our ministry funding usually comes through the generosity of visitors to the church, guest houses, museum, and those traveling with Shoresh study tours. As we continue to pray for the end of the pandemic, we ask you to remember us in your prayers and in your charitable giving. Stay connected with us through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our website, ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Our worship continues with the reading and study of God's Word. It's actually a privilege and a blessing to be able to read the Bible in public. can't say that in every country of the world. Because it is such a blessing, because it is so valuable, and it is not like any other book, then at the end of every reading, our readers will declare, this is the Word of the Lord. We all know that. But we will respond by saying... Thanks be to God, because for him we are truly thankful that we can do what we do. So let's prepare our hearts and our ears to hear what God has to say through his word this morning. The first reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, beginning to read at verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor and what, on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, 
without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace, for the mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper, and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is Amos, chapter 8, verses 4 to 13. Hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath be ended that we may market wheat, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this, and all who live in it mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I'll make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. All the days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and the strong young men will faint because of thirst. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading is from the book of John, chapter 6, verse 35, and then 41 through 51. Please stand as we're in the presence of the King. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. At this point, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who was from God. Only he has seen the Father. 
Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. This is the word of the Lord. And once again, Father, we appeal to you in the name of your Son, or for the sake of your Son. We ask that um, as we listen to your word, that indeed you will change us and transform us, bring us to indeed a place of maturity, enable us to live in life and in light, the life of your Son, the light of your Son, Jesus the Messiah. We pray that um, as indeed as we are blessed, that uh, we will be a blessing and a witness and a light to others. We ask that uh, life of the Son will flow through us and touch the lives of others around us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. We um, are following, at least this month, the discipline of the lectionary, and uh, whoever cooks up the lectionary has five weeks on John chapter 6. It is actually, can be quite a challenge to preachers and even a challenge to a congregation. But uh, without doubt, it's certainly an important, uh, is it not, uh, part of John's gospel. It deserves to be discussed and and it deserves our prayerful reflection, meditation, and it should not only be uh, the issue of theological controversy, yes? Because, of course, throughout the history of the church, especially from the time of the Reformation, millions of trees have given their life um, in, um, for an argument one way, one way or, or the other. But I think in order to appreciate this passage and even to appreciate perhaps the entire chapter, at least um, the discourse that follows after walking on the water, I would like us to keep in mind three things. And um, those three things, which I think are very important, are as follows. One, and we've discussed this before, but it really does need to be reemphasized from time to time, is that what we have in John's gospel is the, um, or the fancy term, or the theological term, is realized eschatology. Yes, it's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and many other parts of the New Testament. And what realized eschatology means is just very simple. Instead of seeing salvation as only something that happens in the future, John 
wants us to uh, realize, or John wants us to uh, come to the understanding that salvation is also something that is happening to us in the here and now. Instead of understanding that the devil is, Satan himself is defeated only at some time in the future when we read uh, the end of the book of Revelation, John's gospel wants us to know that the devil is defeated. Yes, when Jesus dies on the cross and rises again. God is glorified. The glory of God happens at the cross and not simply uh, at the end of time. And last week we discussed at length, or somewhat at length, maybe even too long, the nature of eternal life. Yes, that, that occurs over and over and over again in this gospel. Yes, what is eternal life? And in our culture, especially in Protestant culture, we've done a good job of emphasizing that eternal life is something that happens to us after we die, everlasting life. But everlasting life and eternal life are not exactly the same thing. And that what Jesus promises is not only life after death, please let's not minimize that. I don't want to do it, especially at my age. <coughs> you know, when the seconds are ticking and the end is near. But Jesus also promises life before death. Yes. Not the same life we may have when we're standing around God's throne or when we are a part of a new heavens and a new earth, but still life nonetheless. Yes, that's eternal life. That divine life of some, uh, a form of divine life a sharing in the life that the Father has with the Son. And that life is transmitted to us by the Holy Spirit. And so these are things that we have to keep in tension. And if we can't live within a certain paradox or certain tension, then the result is, is that very often we go into some kind of heresy or wrong teaching. Because if we believe or if we conclude, yes, that this is life, this life we're now living is rotten and miserable and, and things will only be better after we die, or if we have some kind of focus on the life here and now and God's blessing of what happens here and now and have no hope or expectation to, towards the future, if we center on either one of those, it'd be, it is indeed False teaching. It's a false understanding of the scripture. Yes, if we focus on um, the devil as not being defeated in the here and now, and yet at the same time not uh, ending in final defeat uh, at the end of time, if we choose either one of those and decide that we're going to have a focus on one or the other, we end up in a heresy. Yes? And it goes, of course, for all of the scripture. Where Jesus is only a human and not divine, or Jesus is only divine and not human, yes, the result is one, some form of heresy or another. If God chooses me, 
and I don't have any, and I don't choose God. Yes, and we don't live in that tension and don't declare ourselves uh, smart enough to have, have God figured out through some kind of systematic theology, then we can end up distorting the scripture and even distorting our understanding of who God is. Jesus is a lamb, Jesus is a lion, etc., etc. So I think when you come to these passages, and even to John's gospel, we have to, to live in a certain tension. And maybe I, I despise musicals, I hate musicals, I can't stand musicals. You got that down, Becky. No Hollywood show tunes for the evening service, okay? Like singing in the rain or something, okay, just, <clears throat> just so you know. But you know, there's Fiddler on the Roof, and the, 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 the main protagonist, Tevye, the milkman, is always saying, on one hand and on the other hand. And I think to think theologically, to think biblically, to think in a kind of a Hebraic way in which the scriptures were written, we have to think with two hands. Yes, we have to celebrate the life that we have today in the Messiah and to ensure that we're living that life. Yes, and we have to be confident, yes, in the life that is, will be given to us after death. And so, living in a certain tension and avoiding, avoiding distortion, yes, is important. Secondly, I think we have to ask the question, what is the bread of life? Yes, because if we don't, we can get uh, into trouble, uh, um, serious trouble. So, the bread of life could be just a beautiful abstract phrase. And very often we hear these phrases from the scripture. They sound gorgeous. They sound warm. They sound spiritual. And as I'm fond of saying, and everybody has heard me say, they go in one ear, come down and warm the heart a little bit, and go out the other, and nobody knows what they mean. There's no way to live them. There's no way to actualize them or realize them. Yes, there's no way to test God's promises. Is this really true? You know, it's like walking around when we were kids. Everyone used to say, Jesus is the answer. That was, that was the buzzword. So just to be snarky in those pre-converted days, I used to say, well, what is the question? Right? Jesus is the, you know, the bread of life, the bread that comes down from heaven. Yes, what does that mean? No, what does that mean? Or is it just an empty phrase that we repeat among ourselves or we say amen to, but it really doesn't touch or change us? Yes, it doesn't uh, transform us. It actually, it doesn't nourish us because that's the purpose of bread, isn't it? Bread is to... Food yeah, meets a human need. Without food, we suffer deprivation. Without water, we suffer deprivation. Without light, which is a common theme in the book of John, virtually, let's not be 100%, but virtually there's no life. Virtually there's no life. 
And so I think if we want to ask the question, right, what is this bread of life, just have to basically review, you know, in one minute, the whole controversy that's happened, especially since the Reformation, and a little bit in the early church. Yes. So what is this bread of life in John chapter 6? Basically, people had three ideas. The very common idea, which I think is, has a lot of truth to it, is that this is Eucharistic, that this points to communion and some form of sacramental nature of communion. And when I say that, I say that as an Anglican, not accepting the uh, Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation, but that in that coming to the Lord's table in faith and with thanksgiving is actually in some mysterious way we meet Jesus himself. It's not magic. It's not a formula. Yes. But very often it becomes something magical and people somehow think if they run up to communion and nail it, kneel at the communion rail that everything's going to be okay. Then there's the, the understanding is that what's being talked about here is revelation. Yes, this bread that comes down from heaven that we need to eat, that we need to be nourished with, is the revelation of God in Jesus the Messiah. And we spoke about that because when we spoke about believing in eternal life, yes, the word belief, which is a verb, has in it not only this idea of trust uh, and abiding and staying, but it also has a very, very strong connection with uh, being committed to a person. Yes, and the person that we're being committed to is not some Jesus that we are going to invent. This is sort of a, a difficulty and a problem, yes, uh, in our generation, but it's true in every generation. We all like to invent a Jesus that looks like our popular culture, and we all like to invent a Jesus that's attractive to us, right? Um, and so when we read the, the passage, or when we read John's Gospel, yes, it's being committed to a person, to Jesus who is the Son of Man, or to Jesus who is the Messiah of Israel, or Jesus to the one who descends from heaven, yes, in order to meet human need and to bring us to God, etc., etc. It's not creating, making Jesus our own personal guru. Okay, so revelation is this bread that comes down from heaven and ultimately eating the flesh and drinking the blood. Yes, is it the Eucharist? Is it revelation? Or there's a third alternative. And that third alternative is teaching. Yes, teaching being the word of God. And this word of God, this connection between bread and food is uh, very prominent. I, th I believe we saw it, did we not, in the two Old Testament readings, the reading from Isaiah 55, which, may I just read a few verses? Um, 
Come all you are thirsty, come to the waters, uh, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy milk and wine without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and labor, on what does not satisfy, right? So again, like Jesus, yes, using food to point to something uh, spiritual, something more important. Listen, listen to me, yes, and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Listening, hearing, Aaron, is what? Shema, what is Shema? Hear and obey, right? That every that uh, when we read through the Hebrew Bible and we hear words like listen or hear or even in, implicit in the word incline, your ear, yes? The point is always obedience. In English, we have this separation between listening and obeying. I might listen to you. I'll hear what you say, but I may not do it. It doesn't really exist in Hebrew. When we said the Shema earlier, we recited the Shema. Yes, it's like, listen up, Israel. Now listen up and do this. Yes, we're listening in order to put something into practice. And of course, last week and the week before, we even read from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it connects bread, yes, with the word of God. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order that you may know whether, what, uh, what is in your heart. Um, and he did all these things um, so that um, you would know that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And again, if you we go through the scriptures, there is a connection between um, not simply only the word of God, and bread or word of God and food. There are many such examples in the Proverbs. Yes, but also between obedience and life. Right? Remember the famous passage, what well, becomes famous by New Testament times, um, the famous passage in Leviticus, in which tells us that um, we should, um, here we go. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. By the time we get to Jesus, it's clearly understood, yes, that the, the obedience to the Torah brings life. Right? The Torah is bread. The Torah is, in some places, it's called uh, water. Uh, it brings life. And of course, remember the people of Israel in the, the end of Deuteronomy. Yes, they're called upon or they're reminded of the blessings and the curses. And they're called upon to make a choice. Right? 
And if they choose obedience, they choose life. They choose life. So I would suggest that in all of this, yes, what it means to eat this bread of heaven, what it means to, yes, to be nourished, to enter into relationship with God through his son, Jesus the Messiah, is not only that we trust, not only that we have a commitment to Jesus, the person that he claims to be, not the one that we invent, we invent for him, but also what it means to have this life, what it means to have this divine life or to share in this divine life, yes, which is not physical life, means that there has to be intention, serious intention, to obey his commandments and to obey his words. My words are spirit and life. Now, what good are those words if we don't put them into practice? Yes. What good are, what good are those teachings? Yes. If we're not going to obey them. We can and we are nourished by the Eucharist. We, can, we are nourished indeed, yes, when we accept the revelation of, uh, that God gives us through Jesus, his son. But we're also nourished in being obedient to, to those commandments, to his commandments. I would like to suggest that the enemy of eternal life is not death. The enemy of eternal life is sin. The enemy of eternal life is sin. Yes? May I suggest it with a few verses? And by the way, I don't think we can ever seriously study John's gospel if we don't read it with the epistles of John. John's gospel has a commentary, and that commentary is 1 John, 2 John, and maybe a verse in 3 John. Because it's a beautiful gospel, but it is a gospel that can be very easily, easily misunderstood. And it can be very easily distorted. And further, it could just be some kind of abstract mysticism, yes? Or some kind of, uh, um, what do you call it, reservoir for, you know, beautiful theological statements which again, don't touch the lives of ordinary people. I mean, what does this have to do with someone standing in the line at the supermarket on Tuesday afternoon? It has everything to do with life and ordinary life. But again, if we're not careful, it just becomes, you know, some, uh, something sort of mystical. And there is something mystical about it, but it also impacts and touches, it certainly touches, um, it certainly touches real life. So if we believe, yes, that uh, the Old Testament context, the context of the Hebrew Bible, behind these words of Jesus, yes, is the word of God, 
And the word of God, putting that word, putting God's commandments yes, into practice. Yes, the enemy of this eternal life, and here eternal life is a relationship. Don't, don't think to yourself, is he saying I'm not going to heaven? It says the following in 1 John 3, verse 16. Well, I'll start in, in 15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. Again, if eternal life is a relationship and not just something that happens to us when we die, because that's how John 17, 3 describes it. Or, John, or eternal life is union with God through Jesus the Messiah. What's going to destroy that relationship? What's going to harm that relationship? In this case, no pun intended, what's going to kill that relationship? If we hate our brother, yes, then we are a murderer. And of course, First John goes on in many different ways uh, to give us or to tell us uh, an essential truth. And that essential truth uh, is as follows, that we, uh, wanting, if we want relationship, if we want this eternal life, this life before life, again, it's not, it is a matter of trust. And it is a matter of faith. Yes, it is a matter of, also a matter of commitment. It's committing ourselves to who Jesus is and obeying what he asks us to do. He doesn't ask us a lot in John's gospel. It's kind of simple. There's no talk about oaths and divorce and wealth and... Um, yeah, gossip or judging people, all those sorts of things. But the emphasis over and over again is on what? It's on love. And surely we can all figure out that if we love somebody, we don't stab them in the back. If we love our spouse, we don't betray him or her. If we love somebody, if we actually love and love the way that Jesus loves, then we seek forgiveness and reconciliation. People say that John's gospel has no ethics, but that's not true. Yes, John eight twelve says, Jesus says, if you follow me, yes, you will, be, you will walk in the light. Meaning if you do what I do, if you live the way I live, if our lives reflect, yes, his life. And may I remind you that this is a very old biblical principle going way back to Leviticus, where in Leviticus it says, you know, be holy as I am holy. This is simply an extension because the people of Israel understood that to be holy as God is holy is to, is to reflect his character or to, to imitate him the best the best that they could. And the New Testament, of course, uh, has that same emphasis. But in the New Testament, we, we imitate 
it, we imitate Jesus, who's imitating God. And of course, Jesus in John chapter 5 says, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it. So yes, Jesus is the perfect imitation of God. And he calls upon us, yes, to live in such a way. And so let's read a few more verses from 1 John. Because again, in our deprivation, if we want to be nourished, yes, this is how we will maintain or sustain a relationship. This is how we will continue in life. Yes, we do so, yes, through a form of imitation. So in 1 John 2, he says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. Yes, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live, whoever claims to have life, yes, must walk as Jesus did. And this is not talking about sinless perfection. But may I remind you, that if we want to walk like Jesus did, we better know his life. We better study the Gospels. We better study the, the commentaries on the Gospels that we find in the New Testament. There's no substitute for serious Bible study. And of course, there's no substitute for being led by the Spirit of Jesus. Yes, having those words and those teachings applied to our hearts. Know, by the work of in the work of the holy the work of the holy spirit again for anyone who does not love his brother yes and i'm reading from first john 4 um, whom he has seen cannot love god who he has not seen and he has given us this command whoever loves god must love his brother and the love for god Yes, this is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. He who overcomes, who is it who overcomes the, the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son, he who has the Son has life. Yes, eternal life as described. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And if we don't have life, we starve. We don't, have the, we don't eat the bread that comes down from heaven or drink the living water or ultimately eat the f flesh and drink the blood. Yes, then spiritually we starve to death. And we may do it by, of course, accepting alternatives, you know, ones that don't lead to life, but lead to death. So you might say, I'm not convinced. Yes, I'm not totally convinced. How did you jump? Yes, from... God's word to obedience, to life. It might sound like you're talking about works. Don't always bring this up. Not that I think it's an issue anymore, but 
I think it's a, an artificial issue in the world in which we live. I think it was a very important issue in the time of the Reformation, but it's much less so now. But how do you get there? And I'd like just to remind you and close with the following. Yes. Again, if eternal life is union, if eternal life is intimacy in which we're nourished, yes, the motivation for this, interestingly enough, isn't punishment or fear. That doesn't come up in this gospel. There's no punishment or fear. And again, I would, I'd like to remind us that um, there is a, um, a time of reckoning and judgment uh, in the other gospels and in the New Testament. So I'm not denying that reality. But the motivation for us, yes, for intimacy is as follows. It says... If you love me, according to John 14, you will obey what I command. And I will ask my Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And then in the same chapter, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father. Yes. So twice, three times, Jesus says, he talks here about, if you love me, yes, because I have loved you. And that's what First John reminds us. We love him because he first loved us. That in obedience, obeying those commands that he gives us, living out his life or walking, living as Jesus lived, yes. we find intimacy. Yes, Jesus says, the Father and I will come and make our home in you. Cannot get any more intimate than that. The relationship cannot be any closer. So the bread that comes from heaven. Again, next week we'll talk about the Eucharist and the place of a sacrament. And again, the week before we mentioned, talked about revelation. But that bread that comes from heaven is the word of God. And the word of God always requires a response. And let's not try to be artificial and separate, yes, God's word from our response, from our obedience. Yes. The emphasis on love is not very mysterious in this gospel. God so loved the world. Yes, Jesus so loved his disciples. They, Jesus gives himself to us and asks us yes, to give back in return and to give what do we give in return to others? Exactly what he gave to us. A giving of one's life, yes, as expressed in love. And that's the commandment that is emphasized over and over again in the book of John. So, Father in heaven, we indeed want to be nourished by you and fed by you. 
We want to eat this living bread that comes down from heaven. We pray that uh, we will not starve spiritually or emotionally or in any other way. But Lord, we ask that um, you will give us the grace and the motivation and most of all, a desire based on love to obey you and to put your commands into practice, to be your disciples, to follow you so that we live in the light and that we live, that we possess life, eternal life. Now, all these things we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.